comes to you once a week recapping the Hollywood week that was getting ready for the Holly weird week to come this is Mike Mike and Oscar weekly hashtag MMO weekly hashtag MMOW I am your co-host Mike one this is co-host also Mike we're coming off our Christmas days oh ho, ho I'm sick again <laughs> you did get sick again. I hate life this is just a joke now mean you, joke I wonder if uh, you got sick because you were exposed to more people that you're not you, probably I do live in a cocoon now, are they like my family, and did they love The Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> and therefore, all of their hate again. No, I mean, my family gave me some shit about... I think they were more disappointed. They are like... They just had sad faces. They're like, why didn't you love it? I was around I was around some people that were like outraged at how could you speak ill about it. And I, I prefaced it. I, I was yeah. immediately smoothing it over. Because I knew, and this is the type of people that enjoyed that movie. I immediately was like, I loved episode eight. Right. If I've been around a lot of people that if you didn't like episode eight, you liked episode nine. I happen to love episode eight. A lot of people that like episode eight hated episode nine. What the subtext of that that I didn't go on to explain is I like thinking about my movies. <laughs> I think I'm such a story junkie that yeah. I love movies that really, you know, just bend over backwards to give me a great right. story. I'm with you. And this movie is just kind of like, all right, it, just go with Remember it. this person. And yeah, my family just kind of went to the movies. They just want to have a fun exactly. time. Which is fine. More than a great story that you yeah. know, throws them off their pins every two seconds and that does work i mean there's people I, I i resent the argument that star wars isn't a film franchise that you should have ever thought about i highly resent that i think that's a cop-out but at argument. the same time you know but i under the yeah, movies right. to unwind right. and not think is something i think it's okay to, well. yeah i think it's totally within people's rights and that's what makes the whole movie criticism industry kind of turn on its axis right exactly and i think that's why we formatted today's episode the way we did i mean i want to bookend it with some star wars chatter at yeah. the front we'll do, give you a spoiler warning and we want to react to a bunch of uh, star wars stories in the do you care segment where we're going to respond to a lot of those things on a spoiler level and i, I think that's going to help us with our grieving process it's yes. going to bring some closure to our fans and i know a lot of our fans love the ryan johnson movie too right we're going to talk about jj versus ryan there may be more than meets the eye i mean at least with everything i've consumed over the last week. and if all of our placating and kowtowing to mm -hmm. making episode nine more palatable to you doesn't gross you out enough we talk about kevin spacey too so oh. that'll really gross you out then so here we're like i Mike was said. teasing <laughs> and then you no yeah you're going to talk about kevin we spacey. will begin and end with star wars like we said this is mmo Weekly. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. This is our uh, daily trip around the Hollywoods, as I like to say, and Mike likes to make fun of me for. This is where we concentrate on the bigger blockbuster news, uh, the bigger blockbuster movies that are going on, the movies uh, movies of the moment, quite like Star Wars, in fact. If you're looking for a more Oscars or award season-specific and centric news show, well, we have one of those every week, too. We just released it on Christmas Eve, late Christmas Eve. Uh, we call that Oscar Race Checkpoint. We do that once a week. That's where you can go to have all your Oscars news and award-centric news and uh, all the upcoming awards shows that we're kind of miring in and swimming upstream against that's all going to be in orcs this is mmow we like to use these to kind of kick off your weekend now as we have flip-flopped the schedule and we're trying to use mmo weekly to kick off your weekend to go to the theaters let you know what you should should go see should avoid etc etc so like mike said a little different format today we're going to start with a box office update michael because that's where star wars reigned yeah the rise of skywalker did uh, well at the box office it did not do as well as many projected mm. 
we were talking about 450 worldwide as an opening it made 373 we were talking about you know 190 195 as an opening domestic weekend it made 175 now these are good numbers right third largest december opening of all time the, the and the force awakens was number 1 but it is a downward trend in terms of this trilogy, Mike. Yeah. And we got some stats for people on that. Yes, that happened with Revenge of the Sith. It made $200 million less than Phantom Menace. Yeah, that happened with a lot of trilogies out there. But it doesn't necessarily always have to, have to happen because we've had The Lord of the Rings. We've had yeah. Return of the King make $250 million more than Fellowship. And we've had the MCU where the latest has typically been the greatest in terms of money earners. Yeah, the ideal is that these decades-spanning franchises can bank on an uptick when they're closing out and there's been no greater movie franchise spanning various decades than this Star Wars property so you would have thought that this would do well on a closing uh, not the case also curious a $175 million budget you can find a couple different numbers for what The Last Jedi's budget was but if you think it's the $200 million, which was the number I saw most often this is about $175 is about a 12 and a half or a 7 eighths as much a 1 eighths drop from what The Last Jedi had so maybe Disney knew a downturn was coming, but you made the point overall, Mike. The big ending, like I said, to these decade-spanning franchises, they're supposed to be uptakes. I mean, yes, Sith, Revenge of the Sith Episode 3 did poorly, but Episode 2 was universally panned. Everybody hated it. It was a rewrite. It was Count Dooku comes from out of nowhere. It was clearly supposed to be an evil Jar Jar Binks, which I think would think George Lucas should have just forged ahead with would have made a better movie. But nonetheless, that's probably what was responsible for that $200 million shortfall. But if episode three, where you knew you were getting Anakin becoming Darth Vader, and right. you knew you were getting Obi-Wan's, the end of the Obi-Wan arc, if episode three still couldn't recover from the downturn of episode two and did $200 million less, how is this property going to go forward without the the Luke, the Hans, the Leias, and the Vaders tethering it to years and movies past? I, I don't know how this franchise, what it can rely on. I mean, do we get like the Babu Frick spinoff? Do we go to like a Chewy alternative universe where we get his backstory. I don't know where this franchise is going. It's kind of an interesting point for Star Wars. We're going to touch on it at the end. I, what I think they're trying to do is multiply the fans. And that's what you have to do when the same fans aren't re-watching the movie again and again and again, which I think happened in terms of the original yeah. the 1977 film and with the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back where you just had people going to see it seven times. Right. And you had those movies that were that were great. Now, you if you get everybody else to go see it one time, I think that's a different story. You could still maintain big box office. And I think that's what all these studios try to do whenever they, they, get, they get a movie that's mixed reviews or whatever. They know it's not going to be a, just a, a huge hit. They try to get everybody to see it once. I think that's what they're trying to do with this movie just to make it a happy film. In the terms of the prequels, right, you had a tragedy. That what you're finishing it out with. In terms of Return of the Jedi, you had something that could never top the original, right? right? But you were, you were trying. Right. So they were trying to remake the original in many ways mm -hmm. and just have it to be a fun And end on a happy note, yeah. With this movie, you had something totally different. We saw Star Wars get subverted in many people's minds by The Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson. Mm -hmm. Now, we agree and disagree with some of that, of course. Right. And we think there are reasons for, for why it did. But at the same time, they, they're they trying to win back some of those fans, and some of those fans are the dedicated ones who will go see it seven times. Right. 
So they, they, they're on a tightrope is what I'm saying in terms of their audience and the makeup of that audience. And in winning, trying to win those fans back, you kind of played a lot of cards that you could rely on. You brought back a lot. I mean, kind of spoiler, right. I guess, but you're bringing back familiar faces that maybe weren't expected. You've played those aces yeah. in the hole already. You might be living the, leaving the cupboard a little bare. You can't go the Boba Fett route because that might, I mean, that kind of is already, Mandalorian. people yeah. have been satiated with that in The Mandalorian. I don't know what character you have that can you're gonna have to start with all new characters you're gonna have to knock it out of the park i think star wars is gonna be around forever i don't think we're in any kind of danger of losing that property especially with disney behind it but i think they're in a more unique place that they probably didn't expect the franchise to be in in 2019 you know i I think it's a very interesting future coming up look at pixar pixar is built on original properties Mm. and a couple early hits but yeah i mean toy story is a thread throughout the incredibles they they have a few right franchises within that but basically the, the cool thing about pixar is you get something new and innovative right. continuously the thing about the mcu is yeah they'll base a few storylines on some popular comics but what's been so successful for them is that you give new characters or characters from some unpopular comics their own stories right. and those hit too and now the i think they've achieved success that is just dwarfed anything the comics achieved even I though agree. the comics are somewhat popular with star wars it's totally different they have to honor something that was the height of popularity and changed movies and changed the entire changed industry everything. yeah so so they have more responsibility to the to the old stuff so that's why i you know looking back on what jj did he was caught between a rock and a hard place and then you know someone else smashing that rock and hard place <laughs> so he would really he really was caught between it that's why i think it was just such a rush job at the end of the day i mean this is good because this is like a non-spoiler thesis statement we'll get into the spoiler versions of this and, and, and respond to a bunch of questions about star wars and, and all the big stories that have been coming out like i said uh but uh th- in terms of a non-spoiler thesis jj had a had a tough time i will say that much do you think he it was a tough time because he made it tough on himself? Because you could have just kept going with the Ryan Johnson through line. Well, I think that, number one, he wanted to go a certain direction with it when, right. when he started. And right. Ryan John, he gave Ryan Johnson a script for the second one, just like Ryan Johnson gave him a script or an outline mm-hmm. for the third one. And he was, you know, consulting everything, but he, he was the setup guy. Right, and what he's great at is setups. Right. I mean, that is what he's great right. at. And the That's first true. hour of the Force Awakens is great. Like, if we ever review that movie for a Star Wars rewatch, I'm gonna gush right. over the fact that you have a stormtrooper turn good. I mean, that's a great that's character, a great concept, great yep. hook. That you have the scavenger secret Jedi on a sand planet. Yeah, it's a little Lukey, but it's it's this it's this young girl who's got all this athleticism, who's got uh, you know this crazy backstory with her family. I mean, that's cool. That's right. a great setup. You got Poe as this captured, you know, hotshot pilot, basically a Han Solo already working for the Resistance. Again, cool enough setup. And then the coolest of all is Kylo Ren. I'm not going to get into his spoilers here, but I thought he did a great job, not a good job, of setting things up. Yeah, then you go into the, you know, basically the plot of Episode Four. I think my uh, my thesis is Ryan Johnson should just be trusted to write everything. Here's here's what I'm thinking though. Ryan Johnson would have been better as the third movie guy, and I know Captain. Yeah, but Kennedy, can you imagine the outrage? 
I mean, at least JJ got. I I, I agree. Like for us, he yeah. would have been better. He's but the outrage great. of fans, obviously, they're not. They don't want new with this he's, franchise. But he's not great as the transitional second episode guy. I mean, that didn't work. I think that's unfair. Like he could be if you're not so stubborn and JJ Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy to have to feel like you got to course correct this thing. If they were on the same page right. from the get-go. or at least you can. You're willing to accept new ideas. If you weren't so static, where this is Star Wars, no other idea is Star Wars. We have to go back to what is Star Wars. If that wasn't their mindset, I think there could have been a, a very pleasing, for all fans, a very pleasing ending for this. But they wanted to go back to the... They wanted to go back to episode four, essentially. They I wanted, four, five, and six. They wanted to go back to four, five, and six, and seven more than they obviously right. wanted to stay with eight. I totally agree with you there. If, if they went with eight, I think you got some unique... You know directions that you could have taken the story. You could have focused it on Ray and Kylo, yeah. which is the bottom line. And all the other nonsense that they put in here kind of took that focus away. And the best part of the movie is Ray and Kylo. Right. I think we both agreed right. when, in our question. review. Yeah. So I, I think Ryan Johnson was setting it up that way. We'll get into it in spoilers, like we said, maybe a little quicker now that we take 40 minutes at the beginning of the, <laughs> the opening here talking about Star Wars, but it meant a lot to us. And it's going to do well. I mean, you have the numbers here. It's up to 485 worldwide after a decent Christmas day rake. Probably today going to pass the half a billion dollar mark. Uh, I said in the first week it would be up to 550. Obviously, it was short of that, but it's going to get to past 550 now that we're here. It's so it's pro- going to do well for us. It's itself. projected five days is, is still very high. Yeah. I mean, you look at every single day now over the next seven days mm-hmm. is like a weekend day right and it's projected to do a week two haul of 150 million over this next five day five days and it's going to rack up the dollars right it's not going to rack up the you know the two point something billion though it's not going to rack up so, the sense s-e-n-c i spelled that wrong anyway <laughs> number two michael at the box office jumanji the next level 26.5 million dollars last weekend did 7 million on monday it is up to 340 million worldwide yeah so i, I just kind of kind of echo and repeat what i said last week when jumanji debuted uh last jumanji movie the first installment into this new rebooted franchise it did 16 million dollars its first week which was the week before Christmas, over last Christmas week, or two years ago Christmas week when the first movie came out, it jumped to doing over $100 million just on Christmas week alone. Uh, this one kind of came out of the gates much stronger. It's doing well for itself. It's de- it hit over $100 million domestically in just over nine days on a $125 million budget. That's music to Sony's ears. The international market is outpacing the domestic market about two to one with this movie. So right. all good news for everything Jumanji related right now. Then again, domestically, it really didn't catch fire, and it's it, it's going up against Star Wars now. It's not going to make a hundred million dollars over the next five days, like last year or a couple years ago. It was like that new cool thing. Yeah, yeah. That everybody, oh, you got to see rolling Jumanji. downhill. It had the word of mouth, and it overperformed. It's going to perform basically like typical blockbusters, I would say. Now, I, I think as long as it hit its budget mark domestically, yeah. everything's gravy, and it did that. Like again, in nine days, it did that in less than two weeks. Yeah. So now it's you're just basically counting money with the international market doing two dollars to one for everything you make domestically. You're just, I mean, Sony's Sony's having a great 2019. They're ending on a high note. They're making money. Yeah. Frozen Two made 13 million last. Last weekend, four million on Monday. That is up to a one point one one nine billion dollar total. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough week for Disney, huh? The first <laughs> Frozen managed to stay in the top three of the box office for his first eight weeks. 
And after a three-week run at number one, the sequel here, uh, it fell to Jumanji last week, going to number two. It falls one more spot to number three in its fifth week out in theaters now. It's interesting to note, though, I just was uh, looking at the daily take of this. This movie has not done less than $1.5 million in theater on any day so far during its run. Wow. The first Frozen movie, after it was released wide, I think it had uh, the first uh, week was you know on four theaters, but after it was released wide... The first Frozen didn't do less than 1.5 million until day number 49. That's so uh, this is going to do well. So it's another case of just you know the studio Disney in this case just counting money. Exactly. And I think Knives Out and Frozen Two they're such they're good enough movies to make it to this point. I agree. And, and when they put them out at Thanksgiving. You know, Frozen 2 was probably going to be here, but maybe they were hoping top 10, top 7. Yeah. The fact that it's still 3 is a testament to how bad some of the new movies have been. Well, and like. How, right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, to how strong this movie right. is. And Knives Out, of course, as well. But here's why. It's 3, <laughs> and it's not 4, 5, 6, or 7. Cats came in with a $6.6 million opening weekend. That's a whole weekend. A $1 million Monday. It's only up to $15 million total worldwide. You're going to talk about a $95 million yeah, budget, Mike. Yeah, yeah. It's getting flopped not only at home, but also across the uh, the world here. Memories of this movie being a box office winner and awards contender. $95 million budget, Michael. You said it. Terrible. Over 3,300 screens this movie has been portrayed on to the detriment of everybody involved. Uh, as of its first four days of its wide theatrical run, it never did more than $769, nice, on per theater average. So it never crossed the $800 per screen average, never sniffed $1,000 per screen. Those are terrible numbers. It's enough for IGN to claim that it's one of the 20 worst domestic box office openings for a wide release ever. Yeah. And it currently sits at number 19 on box office mojo for that list of worst wide releases ever. Uh, what are some horrific flops that actually did better with their wide release weekend than Cats, you ask? Well, how about Mars Needs Mom, which famously Ugh. lost Disney about $170 million in 2011. Wow. Mortal Engines, which yeah. we here at MMO derided for its entire campaign until it painfully <laughs> debuted to an $8 million domestic box office. We did. We did. That was we... also a universal flop, by the way. We called that one. And how about The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature? That's a whole lot of title. How, how did they expect the nut job? You're just mentioning that because they hoped the nut job too, nutty by nature, would do okay. It did, and it did better terrible. than cats. It did better than cats. All right, number one, I don't think you should be allowed in a cat segment to use any innuendo whatsoever. And the 69 joke was there. Now I'm, I'm you're, afraid. You're welcome, everybody. All right. Uh, n number two is this is so much worse than anybody thought. It's bad. All across the board. I hope and people are listening to our episode, so maybe we did our job and we got people away from seeing this movie, <sighs> which is a part of yeah. our job as movie critics to, to to hopefully shepherd some people. We'll see everything. Shepherd some people to the good stuff, to the bad stuff. Stay away. This was definitely a, an alert signal from us. Don't go fucking see this movie. You will not be happy about it unless you want to just go and watch a dumpster fire, a burning cat. <laughs> 
dads, you know, singing and dancing in sexy outfits that are not sexy enough. Not sexy enough is com- completely right. Uh, I wonder who this is going to end up falling at the feet of. I guess the only saving grace is that I don't think Tom Hooper is going to be the fall guy for it. I don't think anybody, any of the actors are going to be the fall guy for it. This is probably just going to be like a loss, chuck it up to a loss to the VFX department, which is unfortunate for the, whoever the, the right. VFX company was behind it. But I, I, I hope that this doesn't cause any kind of disparagement on the careers of the likes of Tom Hooper or Jennifer Hudson as far as movies go, etc. They're going to have to do some really sharp numbering. I don't think that's a term. But <laughs> it, look, if this thing overperforms, it's underperforming at this point during yeah. this break. They're going to say musicals can still work at this time period because next year you're going to have Spielberg, right? You're yeah, gonna... you got the West Side Story. You All got right. Wicked coming out sometime. Yeah. So they, they are planning musicals for this time yep. of year every year going in forward. In the Heights, yeah. In the Heights. Well, that's that's coming out this summer. But I think that uh, I think they were banking on this being this frames musical and it just backfired on them i wonder if there's going to be course correction that cats did so bad that they're like all right great musicals can I come out whenever well. will they change this whole marketing idea it's also going to be interesting to to think about if this movie loses money over christmas week hmm. i mean that is <laughs> well i just think the theater count is still okay for it right right it's in a lot of yeah it's on a it's lot of screens a lot it's a of lot, over three thousand screens it's on a lot of screens and those screens could be used for much more popular things so what i'm wondering is that by this weekend they change its theater count and then it, and it just nosedives yeah. and it goes from like fourth to 17 oh boy now we're to, now we're talking stuff that rattles people in the industry yeah, going to be uh, certainly interesting to keep an eye on as far as, you know, how are musicals in general going to pr- proceed from here? And I'm also going to keep an eye on what's Tom Hooper's next film going to Tom Hooper's got to do the smallest budget indie <laughs> thing next, right? That's what he's got to do, just for his own sanity. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Ann Thompson at uh, IndieWire was talking about him being in director's jail, perhaps. Oh, jeez. Uh, I, would, I would feel sad because I think he is a good yeah, director. Yeah, same here, same here. Uh, but anyway, uh, Knives Out came in fifth last weekend, $6.5 million, $2 million on Monday. 192 is its total thus far on a 40 million dollar budget so that's still going strong it made it this far in the top five it's still got the uh, screen count it's gonna keep making money, money give great auteurs carte blanche to bring their original stories to life he screamed at his laptop while wearing a white t-shirt and pajama pants on christmas night <laughs> Good for Knives Out. Very happy to see Good that. for Knives Out. We want to talk about some other movies. Uh, Uncut Gems expanded nationwide on Christmas Eve. It did $5.9 million on its opening day. You got some news about how that did uh, in a limited release, too, before it went wide. So when it was staying on its five screens, I mentioned how it did over 107000 per its five-screen run last week during its you know limited release opening weekend, platform sure. release. It stayed. It won the box office again this past weekend when it was still only on five screens. It did over four. $48,000 per screen, which beat out what The Rise of Skywalker did, which did $40,000 plus per screen. So it again won the weekend as far as staying on a per screen average. People want to see Uncut Gems, man. The family wants to see Uncut Gems. My family was asking <laughs> so me about I, it. Yeah. I saw it the other you day. Did. It's it's wacky. It's wacky, but it, it's a good gambling movie. I'll talk more about it, you know, on upcoming episodes. We're going to review it. Is it taken out of my mind? Is it exactly what happens in my head? 
here's I'm afraid it is. Yeah, I'm <laughs> afraid that Good. this is your head, and this is what I've been dealing with all along. It is one of the most obnoxious, annoying movies. I think Matt Negley was absolutely right <laughs> in that regard. Like everybody is screaming and yelling audibly. It is my nightmare yeah. with these. Ah, wah, 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 the whole movie. You and Negley haven't been in the places I've been, and that feels like home to me. <laughs> you might be more used to it. You're used to talking to more lawyers. They're annoying people at times. I can see it. You come in for our next recording. I'm wearing a gold diamond Furby necklace over my neck. <laughs> um, Bombshell also expanded this uh, recently. Went over 1,400 screens. Close to 1,500 screens, as a matter of fact. Up from four when its platform released last weekend. It came in sixth on the box office this week. It did just over $5 million. Good for Bombshell, Mike. You haven't seen this one yet? You have? I have. Okay. I don't think this is going to be a, like a big hit movie unless it gets a million Oscar nominations. Okay. But it's good, it's good that it's doing okay. I, it's doing what I would expect, a movie with harsh subject matter released during Christmas. Like, what is the deal? You got this hardcore gambling movie. You got this, you know, everybody, you know, just raping everybody else movie in new studios. And these are our Christmas films? I'm a little surprised at the counter-programming this year. Some people, like me. Yeah. Hate holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the Scrooge movies to see, and this movie makes you feel bad. I mean, it's doing it on purpose. Good. No, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is interesting that it's such it's an the, issue movie. So yeah. harsh of content on counter programming this year. Kind of unique. It is unique. I, I think in last year we've had more sugar coated right. slates. Right. Is what I'd say. And, and this year, like Bombshell. I, I think could take a huge bump if it, if it gets a ton of nominations over the next it two weeks. It is liberal, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, Little Women made 6.4 in its opening day without Christmas Eve previews. It's projected to do 18 to 23. I think the low end of the projections are coming in by the way, so it's probably going to be more towards 18 on its five-day. Yeah, so we're, and just to give you a little bit of a preview of what's coming next from us, we plan on giving that the full OSP treatment. I was going to go see it tonight, but again, I woke up feeling like the devil, so I, I, I'm going to try to avoid people. Hopefully going to see that tomorrow. We'll hopefully have a full-fledged review for you for Little Women out this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, just a little caveat, if this little, you know, tickle in my throat turns into, I, I don't know, Death, like after, the last one did. Yeah, after you finish speaking with me today, stop speaking. <laughs> right. Until we have to speak again, please. So, so we're in a little bit of a holding pattern. The plan is next for MMO, both Mike and I, to tackle... I was going to say to tackle Little Women. That's a bad drop. We're going to cover... <laughs> we're going to crush Little Women, bro. Gonna, <laughs> we will see Little Women and give you our thoughts on it. Let's we're not. We're taking our moms. We're going to Little Women. We're going to crush it. All right, Spies in Disguise did 4.8 on Christmas. You got one more nugget about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we haven't mentioned Tarantino in seconds, so we're due. Uh, it stuck around in a handful of theaters. I was surprised to see this. It went from, on Halloween night, it was in 1,600 theaters. On November 1st, it dropped to being in only 85 screens, but it's still hanging around on 12 screens as Sony tries desperately to push this movie <laughs> over to the magical $375 million mark so we can recoup some cash. It's still pulling in like $6,000 a day. Creeping up there, it's currently at $372.35 million in its little uh, mini theatrical run that it's still on right now. And it has to get over $375 you said that's the rumored number if that's the exact number i don't know but the rumor is as far as what the deal was that quentin tarantino made with sony that's where we're at go back and listen to our quentin tarantino rewatch series i go all into the contract and the deal made as tarantino had his falling out with the weinstein brothers
shoulders and was eventually uh, signed to a deal by Sony. Uh, suffice to say, Quentin is very happy with how that movie's doing. And I do think that it'll make money on video, I guess, at the end of the day. But You would think, right? Yeah. I mean, it's on VOD already. A lot of people probably got the special edition S- Blu-ray for Christmas. They're slowly but surely heading into profit zones. <laughs> Emphasis but, on slowly. But then again, the Oscar campaign that they're probably having to do is... Right, knows. setting them back even further behind the eight ball. I don't know. Gonna be an interesting... Unless the Oscar campaign was built into whatever. Can you imagine all that money sunk into this property and they're gonna lose the parasite? <laughs> they're gonna probably lose the parasite, Mike. All right, let's transition to some audience interaction stuff, Mike. The last challenge last week. The last week for this sleigh ride chair that we're building. It's going to hell. <laughs> I forgot about that. Florence Pugh to Aldous Hodge was the chain that people had to make. All right, the Jim Reaper at Jim B O C C P A S F one eight six. One eight six. There. Uh, I don't know if this is cheating. He says, but according to an article from Scott Feinberg, both were Santa Barbara virtuoso honorees. <laughs> Never cheating if you involve our Lord and Savior, <laughs> Mister Feinberg. That's a fine entry. Thank you very much. Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop and Jack Mayer at JMA six five eight. Both frequent flyers here. One of Aldous Hodge's first roles was as Raymond in Die Hard with a Vengeance. You're cheating if you actually know what that kid's name was. <laughs> but Aldous Hodge was there with Samuel L. Jackson, who is an Every Avengers movie with Robert Downey Jr., who was in Black Widow with Florence Pugh. That might be a bit of a spoiler, actually. Is he? I didn't know. Yeah, right. I that, just, might, that might be spoiled me reading too. the cast I, list there. I, it's not shocking, I no, guess. No, of course not. I mean, a flashback or something. And it's a prequel. The MCU so, just yeah. cannot let RDJ go. Uh, <laughs> and he says, if Jackson shows up in a stinger in Black Widow, then it's only one link. And he actually go. they go so far as to give us the screenshot of Aldous Hodge. And if you remember from Die Hard 3, Samuel L. Jackson's in his store, and the two little kids come up to him on the other side of the counter, right. and one of them right. is Aldous Hodge. You remembered the scene, yeah. too. All right, one more efficiency winner, at Joe Messin, I-N. Aldous Hodge was in Star Trek Short Treks. They use phasers like blasters in Star Wars, which make <laughs> and both make a sound like Florence Pugh's last name. Pew 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 Florence Pew Pew <laughs> Ridiculous. Great job there, Joe. Uh, the Captain Kane Award. Captain Kane is the University of Tulsa's mascot. See, we're all learning something today. <laughs> Alex McCollum at Alex McCollum one. Florence Pugh is in Little Woman with Tulsa, Oklahoma born. Tracy Letts. I should have known Let's is an Oklahoma boy. You can't get that kind of size and that powerful a voice without being from one of the southern states. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Let's received an Artist of Distinction Award at the Newport Beach Film Festival, where also Tulsa-born Alfre Woodard was given the Icon Award. Woodard stars with Aldous Hodge, of course, in Clemency. Good to well, know. I love that. Uh, Alfre Woodard, I didn't know she was from Tulsa. I well. did not know that either. Good, great job, Alex. The Chris Pine regrets his 2018 award. <laughs> TD at Tony, spelled out D81. Florence Pugh was an outlaw king with Chris Pine's penis. We've all been there. Why do I have to say these things on air? <laughs> Chris Pine's penis. Which is, he lovingly shortens to CPP, by the way. <laughs> you down with CPP, Mike? He's <laughs> in Wonder Woman 1984 with Gal Gadot. Poor Gal Gadot, <laughs> who's in Death on the Nile with Letitia Wright, who was in the Black Mirror episode Black Museum with Aldous Hodge. Why are you showing your penis in Scottish movies? There, to be Chris fair, Pine? we don't know if Chris Pine's penis is in Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> well, it's in there technically. We can only assume. It will be covered, let's just say. It will be covered, even though he was kind of naked in the first one. The Nolan Roberts Awards Award, uh, so named, Michael, because why? 
because he uses a lot of awards in our award of his award-centric entry. Say award again. <laughs> At Nolan Roberts, 17. Santa Barbara International Film Festival Virtuoso Award winner, Florence Pugh, won for Midsommar, which co-starred MTV Movie Award winner Will Poulter, who won for Where the Millers, co-starring Golden Globe winner Jennifer Aniston, who won for Friends, which co-starred Teen Choice Award winner Courtney Cox, who won for Scream 3, which co-starred Blockbuster Entertainment Award winner, how are they doing lately? <laughs> David Arquette, who won for Never Been Kissed, which co-starred Screen Actors Guild Award winner Octavia Spencer, who won for Ensemble Cast for Hidden Figures alongside Aldous I remember when David Arquette won that award for Never Been Kissed. Do you really? I do remember that. I remember the Blockbuster Entertainment Award winners. That's a random one there. Because I used to go to Blockbuster like every day. That was my life, high school, post well, of course, high school. yeah. And that's what I did all the time. I had the, the, the thing where you get like a subscription like because they were trying to compete with Netflix there for a while. It was my every day. And I, I remember, you know, David Arquette. <laughs> Was he there at the front door, like, greeting you? Like, I, it might have been a cutout. Because remember they used to have yes. all the cutouts? It was like, yes. Oh, and it was great. It was it, like a man cave, fan cave yeah. kind of thing. And they used to hand them out to us afterwards, like, after they were done using them. I bet. <laughs> this is how poor my business mind is. But I bet, doing no research and just speaking off the hip here. That if, David Arquette's, you know, cutout <laughs> is actually still in my bedroom. Yes, that. <laughs> a. But also, B, if Blockbuster were to come back mm -hmm. as, like, a niche store mm -hmm. in this day and age mm -hmm. and you'd only do a couple around the country i bet it could survive well the few that are still out there are doing well i think there's only one left but, but there's a few uh, well, let's just say there's a few rental, rental places right where you can have and like nostalgia is fucking huge yeah. right now ryan frakes was talking about one in portland oregon when i was on his there show you go. He, yeah it sponsors his podcast so uh, there are they are out there and they're doing well i think all right we well, have a two part entry here from yes. a frequent flyer the first one he entered the second one he's going to win with so we're going to highlight both of them we're going to start swamp thing uh played by cgi emma stone uh, Wojciech wyshore who's been on the cusp of winning a couple times in the last few weeks he finally does it here was his first entry he says i tried to be a little off the wall hope you like it winky face florence Pugh is apparently dating zach braff i that's i hope <laughs> That's not true. The age difference between them is 21. That's why 21 Bridges is a title of a movie with Chadwick Boseman, who's also known, at least by you guys, as Adina Menzel. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a good job That's a good there. Job. Wojciech taking a shot of our <laughs> stupidity. Uh, the real Adina Menzel called her John Travolta moment the best thing that ever happened because she's too nice for any of us. Travolta <laughs> throws his wig into the ring to replace Daniel Craig as James Bond. Craig gave his donut speech in Knives Out as Aldous Hodge in The Lady Killers plays Donut Gangster. So that's great. That could have won on its own yes. right, right? There's truth in there, too. John Travolta was all over the news. We don't remember this, but maybe you do. Maybe I don't know. I don't but remember. 2014, he was pitching himself, and it got out there that he was pitching himself as the next James Bond. It was all over Rolling Stone and everything. Wojciech remembers this, because I was like, wait a minute. There's no way. Hey, my name is Bond. James Bond. <laughs> Shaking the nuts Oh, my God. All right. Uh, then, yeah, that would not have worked. No, no, not at all. There would have to be a wig involved, <laughs> and it would not have worked. All right, so Wojcik, thank you for that entry. But he also wrote the novel of the week that is our winner, Michael, because he connected 27 different actors. Holy shit. 27 different actors by either their hometown or, <laughs> or their birthday. 
What a madman. At the end of it, he has Bob Crane in there from Hogan's Heroes, who, <laughs> whose hometown, Michael. Yeah. Whose hometown, Michael, is Waterbury, Connecticut. Did not know that. Guess who else is from Waterbury, Connecticut? Who's that? Dylan McDermott. Oh, no shit. Exactly. Now we have to like Wow, him. wow. We, we got out, to, huh? Wojcik <laughs> is telling us we have to like yeah. Dylan McDermott. Now, who I always kind of liked, but he, you're right, he's Dermot Mulroney as well. He lives a double life, but we also coming home to Waterbury. How about that? He connects it to our homeland. And then he connects Dylan McDermott to Hope Hannafin on a birthday, which connects to Aldous Hodge because they both came from Oslo County, North Carolina. Jeez Louise. So this was unbelievable. I mean, fact check them, whatever. It's online on our Six Degrees of MMO threads there. He actually had to take a picture, a screenshot of his Word document. <laughs> a very worthy win for Wojcik, I would say. And probably one of the more proper entries to end 2019's uh, Six Degrees of MMO yes. on. Great job there, Wojcik. Great job, everybody that entered and, and submitted to us. And we thank you for doing so. I guess uh, we could finish off the sleigh now. Wojcik is the winner of all things Six Degrees of MMO bragging rights. Mm -hmm. He's in this sleigh, which is being pulled at opposite ends by both, uh, uh, it's the dog from uh, A Call of the Wild, and who's the right. other one? It's Togo. Togo, right, from the movie Togo, of yep. course, from Disney+. Plus. They're running in opposite directions. It's a it's a Christmas sleigh. Mike and I are in Elf's costume. Wojciech's in the seat. We're going down to the center of the earth because the dog's momentum is carrying us there. It's, so it's like some kind of a corkscrew, right. I guess? Yeah. Because they're going in opposite directions. Right. So basically, Wojciech is now on this throne, and he meets with the devil. <laughs> and the devil goes, so how come you didn't like The Rise of Skywalker? What's wrong with you? I love that. He's a huge episode nine and two fan. Yeah, he just wants to speak about the. He wants to praise Count Dooku. I didn't think Cats was that bad. No, I, I'm doing my best here, man. Because you get that when you show up to places, right. and I was surprised. I was shocked at my family, and I just likened them to the devil. I, I realized that, but I was shocked that they would like a movie I hated so with such vitriol. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we've all been there. Yeah. I guess. Boy, there now. Quite and usually, frankly. I could just say like, "Oh, no, it was fine. It was okay." But I. I have to be the asshole. Like, no, I hated that yeah. movie with a fire of a thousand suns. We're going to tell you like why at the end of the episode. I'm sorry, family. I, I always tell people sorry. when it's like, I just spent an hour explaining why. Just go listen to it. <laughs> tell me if you have a problem with it. Uh, Wojciech wins six degrees of MMO. Do we have a challenge for the new year, Michael, that we can give the fine people? John Cho <laughs> is going to be in the upcoming Grudge movie. Which is surely to be Oscar nominated. He's washing his hair. Right. And then Carrie Elways is someone I just talked about in the Princess Bride yeah. book. You read the book or you listened to the book recently. I'm hoping that's why he's on your brain. No. And it's not because of what you just said to me <laughs> in this little edit in between. No, no, no. It's exactly that. When we had to figure this out. But Carrie Elways is apparently in New Year's Eve. Yeah! Which you know off the top of your head. Well, he is in Hollywood, and everybody in Hollywood was in that movie. Okay. And it's about to be New Year's Eve, so I think that fits. So we'll go John Cho to Carrie Elways. Yes. Uh, that's going to be your challenge, your six degrees of MMO challenge, hopefully to kick off 2019. No, good Lord, 2020. I wish with, it still 2019. Yeah, I wish it was 2009. <laughs> When life was happy. 2003. Come on, let's be honest. That's who you want to be. That is your challenge uh, this week. We will move on now and talk about some trailer thoughts. Trailer thoughts. All right, we're cheating a little bit with the first trailer. 
The Last Dance, the untold story of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Ten parts, Mike. <laughs> so the premise, like you said, a ten-part documentary series purporting to be the definitive, all-encompassing documentary of the legendary 1990 Chicago Bulls team. Obviously not an Oscars-worthy type documentary well, because... Oscars-worthy, but not right. Oscars-eligible, yes. technically. Thank Because the last time they did this eight-part or whatever it was, O.J. Made in America, they had to change all the rules again. And they won the Oscar for it. That, that was the, yeah. the precipice of change because O.J. Made in America had, like... 18 days of which to play itself out on. But ESPN just does a great job yeah, with these. Uh, the 30 for 30s they did. OJ Made in America, of course. Uh, Celtics, Lakers. I, I even love going back to like all the, the old 30 for 30s. They had a bunch of them. I don't know if they still are, but they were on Netflix for a while. And they, they're, they're great binges. They're so all-encompassing, like I said. And they just pull you in and suck you in, especially if you're a sports fan. Ezra Edelman, he was the man at the helm for the OJ series. As well, he did the NBA TV documentary series of Magic and Bird, A Courtship of Rivals, oh, which I my favorite anything. I hope he's involved in this. I haven't been able to see who the director is or I've been able to find much information at all about it. It's a terrible it. tease by you. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Or I know. The evil I'm, one. I'm disappointed by it myself. But <laughs> but as far as good teases, my right. lord, did this trailer pull us in. There's much more drama than I remembered yeah. about this team, especially in that late phase. And now that I actually think about it, there was a lot going on. There yeah. was Rodman doing a lot of shit. Rodman the, being Rodman. The hair was getting way many more colors than we were used to. Wearing bridal dresses and uh, going on book tours. and yeah. Phil Jackson was apparently really having problems with people. So, so, I mean, what a shock. I'm a Knicks fan. Right. Phil Jackson and all his zen <laughs> preaching, he gets into a lot of interpersonal arguments. So, for them to win despite all of that drama seems a bit improbable somehow in this trailer and i don't remember it being improbable in the moment because i right. remember the bulls just like steamrolling that year right for coming off the last year when did they set the wins record it was one I of think those it, years. yeah i think it was a, the year before this this was the last year of the dynasty i have a couple questions though first of all mm -hmm. they tout this as being uh giving a documentary filmmaking crew un fettered access they were had access to everything uh if that was the case back in 97 98 why is it taking until 2019 for a cohesive documentary movie to be made out of it i, I wonder if you know licensing yeah by espn maybe. had something to do with it they were, they were broadcasting a lot of nba back then and maybe the, the nba was like no just shelve this i wonder if that's the case but now that they know they can handle that and, and make a dramatic presentation that brings you know something brings pride to the whole brand at large Maybe they, they, they have confidence that ESPN can do it. And think about the layers of pop culture and just <laughs> life that this team impacted. The people they have coming in willing to talk about this. Just I mean, they showed people talking to the camera as part of this documentary. You have a Playboy bunny. Carmen Electra. The greatest NBA players of all time, including... Patrick Ewing, of course. <laughs> yeah, of naturally, course. naturally. Pat <laughs> Riley from the Knicks. They got my Knicks. You have an InSync member Just, that sits down. Justin Timberlake. You have a hip-hop superstar in Nas that's sitting down. Right. You have an ex-president coming in. Barack Obama is going to be on the show. All willing to weigh in about how this team impacted and affected their lives and day-to-days. So I, I can't wait for this, really. I, I put it on now. I'll yeah, watch it now. I'll absolutely. watch this is what I wanna watch now, in fact, because the Knicks are so bad. I wanna watch <laughs> NBA documentaries. But th th this will be perfect timing for me because it'll be June, the Knicks won't be in the playoffs. Right. I'll still get to watch some basketball without having to watch the playoffs. Maybe you watch 
the Celtics in their finals. No, and your shirt's and pissing you... me off now, too, because you got all the retired numbers on your white T-shirt. You, I know. Totally. Great. That's terrible. <laughs> so all right. Pride. Can we get to the next terrible trailer, movie. please? Yes, Misbehavior. It's uh, it's about some, some shit. Yeah, the premise is we have a story of a Miss World beauty contest mm. in 1970, which is protested from the outside by Kira Knightley's feminist group and questioned from the inside by contestants such as Gugu and Batha Raw. All right. Now... I said it's about some shit because they're not portraying this with a kind... Not at all. No. They're, they're getting on. Greg Kinnear as Bob Hope. It, it looks like a scumbag. Yep. Leslie Manville seems to be the old guard woman defending them. Mm-hmm. Reese... Uh, I never pronounce his name. Sorry. Ifans is a I scummy Ifans, judge. Yeah. All right. But this seems like a, a, a way to wrap a feminist message into a movie, though. I worry that it's going to be on the nose. It's going to be a hit piece that they're not going to... At all, you know, give any concessions to the other side or whatever. Even if you can't, that they're just going to be over the top with this. Well, you look like it looks like it's coming from both sides of the pageant process too. I thought as the trailer started, Kira Knightley has been someone that's been criticizing the pageant industry. Yeah. I thought she was going to get like sucked into it and then try to take it down from the inside. She stays on the outside. She criticizes it, and then we have people that are already within the pageant industry yeah. criticizing it. So you're kind of getting two angles of, of judgment and criticism. I against just it. rewatched Hustlers last night, though, and then the fact that they are so you know sympathetic and empathetic to that to that side mm. as well. You can be. You can have concessions involved. You can show rounded characters. I don't see any in the trailers here. We'll find out. Yeah, we will find out for sure. I'm also just wanted to bring this up. This cast looks absolutely loaded. You mentioned some names, and so did I. We mentioned New Year's Eve <laughs> as a setup to our Six Degrees of MMO. Our ensemble cast being taken seriously for like awards contending films is that where we are, and that's where we're going? Because we're used to ensemble cast being for these giant blockbusters yep. or being for these money grab purposes, but now we getting regularly ensemble cast loaded, a loaded cast that are making these serious movies. I think representation is important now in terms of big studio pictures. And that's something that we can just say, finally. Yeah. Right? We can we can exhale and say, finally, that it is important for a reason, and, and we're glad for it. And that's probably why we're not a retrospective podcast, even we were starting <laughs> out that way. But the 1980s was a horror show, and it's about 40-year-old men, and we didn't don't want to look ahead to our 40-year-old selves on a selfish level. But on an unselfish level, I think it's bullshit, and we get angry at it. So we didn't want to podcast that way, and then we got away from that. This movie... I think the bottom line, though, is the ceiling of it is that it's a good movie in March. It's not going to be an awards contender, but you're right. For a good movie in March, to have an ensemble of, of this capability is really, really cool. The years in review segments of those <laughs> uh, retrospective episodes yeah. were just clinically depressing. We were so angry. like We couldn't keep going that direction, could we? We had to it's get a, fast forward. Talk about a downward spiral to the devil. <laughs> The Gentleman, Michael, trailer two. Second look at Guy Ritchie's latest with everyone wondering if Henry Golden can play action star and if Hugh Grant can get a career renaissance. All right. Can Matthew McConaughey, after the beach bum, play a villain? Is that allowed? That should not be allowed. You can't play that goofy-ass character in the beach bum and then convince us you're a villain in, in, in this movie, can you? Has Matthew McConaughey going questionably serious ever gone like serenity that did not go well no uh the lincoln lawyer that did not go well, well frailty that was good i mean the dallas buyers club obviously it's good, but Dallas Buyers, you were rooting for him right yes i mean he's not playing this the middle dark, of the road character the dark tower he's probably the worst villain ever <laughs> as the man in black so it's the goofiest yeah. thing i've ever seen that's why like coming off the beach bum 
Like, how is this possible? Right. And he's too damn charismatic and charming as it is. And even when he's a despicable character like in Wolf of Wall Street, all anyone leaves the theater, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to be the what? He's going to be the anti-hero right. here? Right, I don't know. I don't know. Anti-hero mentor. This is about Hugh Grant. Who are we rooting for in this trailer? <laughs> Who are we rooting for in this movie? I'm starting to get confused because, yeah, I want to see Henry Golding making funny faces. I want to see Colin Farrell making funny faces. And Hugh Grant playing another silly British character. That's who I'm rooting for on a personal level. Okay. I hope he can find a new life as this kind of off-color character here. Guy Ritchie, I, I wanted to see him, you know, hit this out of the park. Same here. 53 meta score. That's pretty alarming. Not a great start. I agree with no, you. It's, it's, gonna not, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Well, I well, liked maybe. Rock and Roller. <laughs> I did. I liked Rock and Roller too, even though it's kind of boring for yeah, his movies. I yeah. like the. I like Lockstock and and uh, what was the other one? Snatch, of course. Yeah, Snatch, Snatch is my favorite. Snatch is a classic. Lockstock's got like twenty minute segments that they should have just cut. <laughs> in my opinion. All right, I'm I'm in my reviewer mode, so we got a what we're watching segment, and I'm gonna try and go faster than I've ever gone before. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff. Uh, my what we're watching was confined to just the rigmarole of Christmas nonsense. I Did watched Christmas watch... Vacation. Okay, you for watched the billionth Christmas time, movies. which yeah. I love, and I watched It's a Wonderful Life, which I do every Christmas Eve. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and that's all you watched. You That's it. You, you don't have a. You don't have a. Re- did, did they have wrestling stuff? A lot on? of YouTube wrestling stuff. A lot of YouTube yeah. wrestling stuff that I've mentioned before. I haven't gotten out of my comfort zone yet. I haven't started watching a new show yet. I haven't started watching uh, superfluous movies yet. I got so mad at the rise of Skywalker and its acceptance. I kind of wanted to shy away from sci-fi stuff. Yeah, I was not happy for the last uh, week or so of my life. Well, we were debating what we should do for this particular day's recording. Mm. We're like, should we do Little Women? But I was like. People are going to be upset at the last week's movie going this week. So right. I was like, I, we better do MMOW. Let's do an episode everybody can listen to. Let's let's put a bow on Rise of Skywalker. Try not to piss off many people. <laughs> then hopefully ease them back into right. it. Right. Because on Disney Plus right now, there you have Togo, Mike. And you and did watch this. I did watch this. There is some batshit ridiculous screenwriting. Like you have its puppy story, Togo's puppy story, mm-hmm. interwoven with the Save the Village story of Togo as an adult story. Seems and absurd. it's the weirdest <laughs> choice. I think each story works on its own. Like the puppy story is so adorable. Reminds me of my goddamn little puppy who's the devil. He's <laughs> the little demon spawn. Right. And it's it's absolutely just the cutest thing in the world. And then you get this really cool story, this uh, this Balto-like story, and you'll have connections to that to finish it. Both stories work, in my opinion. But it's it worked. That's what I was going to ask you. Totally weird that they did that they brought them together. So, I mean, it's, it works as a what? A B minus? And, and and it's a it's a good movie in that regard. You know what we should start doing for these segments of yeah. these types of movies where we have these legendary actors taking these um, <laughs> roles? <laughs> like, what did Disney entice Willem Dafoe with here? What was his payoff? You're just going to work with real dogs after working with real squid? <laughs> well, uh, g- <laughs> We'll give you our own Oscar that says the Florida Project on it when you were supposed to win a couple years ago. With those pelicans, (laughs) Willem, how would you like to work with some doggies, some pooches? But it's good that that's a a worthwhile watch. I'm glad to hear that. I had very, very large fears about. I enjoyed it. I I really did. Uh, Villains. I wanted to watch this. I probably will after you leave today. So I love the concept. The four lead performances are absolutely terrific. There are two of the worst story moments in a third act that I've seen oh, in a while. That's sad. That made me really, really pissed off. One is probably a me problem because it's about drugs, and I get really sure 
testy. With, right. You're going to use drugs in a movie's third act. All right, I mean, it pissed me off. Well, I think that's important to highlight, too, not necessarily just the issue you have, but I was talking to someone who said they, they couldn't take Knives Out seriously because they were a nurse, just like mm-hmm. the way I couldn't take Marriage Story seriously because I'm a lawyer. Right. I think it's important to, to recognize that everybody brings their own stuff into the movies. Brought and so, yeah, it. I mean, that's it's inescapable at times. But here's... What you can't say is based on my baggage. When you watch this movie, just like The Rise of Skywalker, we're a Ryan Johnson apologist. At the same time, there's stuff in that movie that's terrible. There's stuff in Villains that's just terrible. The epilogue of this film is completely ridiculous. Oh, it's always bad when it ends on a sour note. It's just the, the epilogue doesn't work. No, that's all good. I'll say. So the romance of the movie works on both levels. Like all, all I mean, both romances really work, which okay. is bizarre. So that's kind of. I, I hopefully I teased you a little bit. It was but, one of the kookier previews yeah. that we uh, we or trailers we review oh, once upon a time on MMOW. So it's still a watch, even though it ends kind of on a dour note. It's here. another like a B minus C plus for me. Okay. Here's what I'm shocked is like a low B because there are goods delivered here. Let it snow. This is on Netflix. This is. <laughs> Do I know anything about this movie before this, you mention it? All the it? teenagers are in it. You have Ned from the Spider-Man movies. He's in it. You would have thought this is the goofiest rom-com in the world, but it actually has some really important messages for kids, for teenagers. This is a teenage movie. This is the goofiest thing. I watched a half hour of it. I'm like, this is actually really good because I just put it on in the background. I was shocked to enjoy this movie. It is so dumb, but it works. It's adorable. I, I give it a lot of credit. Netflix is doing really well with these kind of movies. So Netflix owns mid-budget movies now, right? Well, you mid-budget have, original yeah. properties is just, it's all Netflix but anymore. You would have thought this would be like a made-for-TV movie, like a Disney Channel movie. It's speaking it's, like a Disney Channel Hallmark movie. Right, yeah. but it's actually a little bit better than that. Good. And it's kind of like got some edge to it. So is this something you watch if you're like snowed in and you're desperate to kill 90 minutes? Is that yes. the, that type of movie? But okay. it's, a, it's a movie that if you would just want to have something on in the background while the family's walking around, bouncing around. Good. But you kind of want to watch it and you want to watch something nice and silly and snowy. Yeah, good. Watch this. So this has been an uplifting what we're watching so lately. So I'm happy to hear that. What about uh, some some our buddy Quentin here? It's been All a right. couple minutes. QT8, the first eight. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. Number one. Tough to not, right? Yeah, I mean, you got interviews with all the cast members, the crew members, a constant montage of Tarantino movies. I mean, it's going to go no lower than a B for me. Mm-hmm. You get new, new drinking stories okay. from all of these characters talking about Tarantino and them drinking together, which is a lot of fun. I did not find stuff that I never heard before, though. Like, other than that, the drinking stories. There's a huge caveat attached to that, right? Yeah. I mean, you and I killed ourselves doing research for our Tarantino rewatch series. We scoured the internet. Right. We researched everything possible right. for our Tarantino rewatch series. So I, in a way, I'm like patting us on, a ba- on the back here. It's a humble brag. On the other hand, like I wanted right. more Tarantino stuff that I didn't know. I didn't get that. This is why we can never interview the man himself, because we would just be reciting his life story to him. He would get creeped out, leave early. It'd be a terrible block mark on our resume. Or it might be good radio. I don't know. Maybe keep trying. <laughs> Quentin! <laughs> Happy Death Day to you. I watched this. This was funnier than oh, I thought. Oh, you saw this, yeah. It wasn't yeah. bad, right? You recommended it. Yeah. It wasn't bad. There are fake consequences, let's just say. It's very J.J. <laughs> Abramsy. Like, there are total fake consequences in this third act that I just disliked. But... The first hour and ten minutes of this movie are really good, yeah. and then the end sucks. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I watched The Black Godfather on Netflix. is a documentary about Clarence Avant, who's a renowned agent, producer, everything man, middleman, essentially, in Hollywood, in the music industry. He's produced everyone from Janet Jackson to Rodriguez to Quincy Jones, longtime best friend with Quincy Jones. 
Mike, there's great music in this movie for two hours. So if you just want to hear great music. That's great to hear. Then you got that going on. It's a two-hour documentary about a man who was great to his friends and great to a bunch of young people and really mentored people. Is it a puff piece or is it just the guy that was that awesome? It is 100% totally a puff piece, but it seems like he's worthy of a puff piece. Gotcha. So that's really cool. So it's a strong doc. The tone didn't really work in terms of shifting like a narrative like there's no adversity it's just a puff piece about this guy for right two hours. gotcha well yeah, sometimes those work anyway look at rbg last year got oscar nominated yeah so uh i watched stockholm now stockholm is about stockholm syndrome because ethan hunt robs a bank ethan hawk ethan hawk if ethan hunt robs a bank that bank is robbed and there's nothing anyone can do about it <laughs> ethan hawk <laughs> robbed the bank numi repose is one of the bank tellers okay and then there's a thing between them what a review i don't get it i still don't get it so i cut it's it's set here's another thing. i assume stockholm syndrome is what this is about yeah all it's right. set in stockholm because that's oh, where the syndrome started and apparently this is the case where it all started from a little I, double entendre for you like i don't get why they're they're into each other just like immediately then they're just like into each other well listen i'll take any romance after watching cats good point <laughs> all right i watched men in black international why because, again, it was something else I put on in the background. Like, it's on stars. I have stars. I'm paying for stars. All right, let's watch it. This is terrible. It's not funny. It's not thrilling. It doesn't work. Shame on them all. That's the end of my this review. This makes no sense that this movie doesn't work, by the way. Look at how hot the names are. Kumail Nanjiani, one of the Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson. Yeah, everybody in the MCU. These are hot names. How does this flop? I don't know. I just know it did. Yeah. It's, it's one yeah. big flop on the floor. Ugh. It's terrible, but it's cartoony CGI. I didn't want to review it anymore, and you made me review it. I know. Somewhere. I'm sorry. That's it's my terrible. fault. I want to spit on it. Move on. It's awful. <laughs> All right. The Invisible Man. I finally watched that from 1933, and this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Claire, I love these old horror Claude movies. Rains, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Let's just be honest, though. Nothing holds up. Nothing. We, it's interesting you bring this up in this episode, too, because we, yeah. in 2019, watch these movies. Mm-hmm. I think in the same way some people that liked Episode Nine watch Episode Nine. You right. just take it for what it's worth. You take what's coming to you. You don't try to think about it much. You just try to be entertained. But all the acting is terrible. I mean, it's shudderingly <laughs> it's bad. the 30s, man. All of the acting. All of it. That's why Betty Davis came along, and everyone's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you, you got the, uh, the the special effects, which is kind of cutesy. But it's stuff like kids are doing now right. in film school. Right. You know, I, so like that, I told you, House on the Hill from the 50s it ends with a target skeleton coming out of the but closet. But here's the thing. Like, we've reviewed, like I reviewed Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. right? And I know you reviewed a bunch of the old universe. Like, there's still production design that you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And, and here, not, not so, so much. much. Not right. so much. Like, nothing works. The story is ridiculous. And if, they, if someone had a can of paint and sprayed it... <laughs> They would have won. It's just ridiculous. You they can find them. If just to have a hose, just walk around with a hose. Best spray paint production design. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up this uh, this foray into the Hollywoods with a Do You Care segment. This 
This is the Do You Care segment. This is where we take other news stories of the week. We ask each other, would we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is we take the theatrical and VOD releases. And I ask Michael here if we should care about all of them. Kind of a light week, as I guess the first week of every year kind of is. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Clemency going limited. The only big wide release of note is The Grudge. We have stuff on VOD, though, as well. Gemini Man is something I might watch. Yep. It's an Oscar short list there for VFX. Yep. The Adams Family was something I was curious about. Yeah, me too. 40%er, though. Probably mm. not. A Zombieland Double Tap, Malef Maleficent. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Joker's going to be available to rent soon. I'm pro All right, bottom line is, at home, I'm probably going to rewatch Joker. Yes, I think we have to. Gemini Man, I'm going to feel an obligation to. Right. And The Apollo is going to be on HBO. That That's a shortlist documentary feature. Uh, that's going to be on HBO the 29th. All right, good to know. So that's uh, we're getting this place where even staying at home is going to give you some opportunities to watch catch up on some awards caliber stuff. And then in theaters, we're going to see Little Women together at some point. Yep. If you don't die, mm -hmm. uh, Bombshell. Nice to be seen. Yes, we, we have some plans for Bombshell. They're vague. We have some plans for Uncut Gems in 1917. We're going to give an OSP to it. Yeah, so. those are the ones, the big ones that I think is all that's left for us to sink our teeth into in a major way. Fingers crossed yeah. at this moment. But uh, when Portrait of, La of a Lady on Fire gets ten it's nominations true. at the Oscars <laughs> and they true. just put their middle <laughs> finger to the international film branch, you never know. Yeah, good point. Good point. Just, you do I, never know. I, I I know the critics are pissed. Well, they should be because they're they're putting Portrait of a Lady on Fire up atop all their podiums mm. and all these recent you know, critics awards. And I know it's if I watch it, it's going to be something I absolutely adore too. I, so. I mean, the cinematography alone spectacular. I mean, never look away. And Cold War last year came out of nowhere for cinematography. Yep. Is this really coming out of nowhere for cinematography? It looks that good in trailers. I will. So the only thing I'll say against it is that Neon, which has the distribution rights stateside, has. Pretty much done nothing, but they've had their hands full. They've had a, a bunch of other stuff that's awards caliber. They had at least, I think, three. I think they have the Bottle Eleven. I know they have Parasite. So it's it's been a tough year for them to get all their balls in the air. I'm really upset because we missed all the screenings or whatever of a Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, when it first came out December 6th, and now they have just isolated it as a wide release mm. for February 14th. They're putting it out for Valentine's Day, which is after, after the, Oscars. the Oscars. Mike, when the hell are we going to see this movie? I'm very upset. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I it's know. It's going to be our blind spot yeah. this award season. I, I, don't, I mean, I was going to go to New York. I was looking all over New York wow. City. If you're living in New York and you know it's playing somebody somewhere, but I looked on like five pages of Fandango. I'm like, it's not. I, w I would go to New York just to see that. Do you think it ends up with any nominations gun to your head right now? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I do think it's got a good chance. Like we, hope, we hope it does. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised in those two weak-ass Acting categories of Adele Hainel. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it might, might happen. All right. Something to keep I an eye on. I know Adele Hainel is a great actress. Why did I bring that <laughs> here when we're tight on time? I don't know. But here, look. I didn't watch this video. I'm too creeped out. You watched this video? I did. Kevin Spacey dropped another Christmas announcement. What the hell is he doing, Michael? So he's channeling his Frank Underwood character still. He's just releasing, I guess, every Christmas Eve, we're going to get one of these now, where he's just talking to the camera, kind of in character, kind of about what's happened in Kevin Spacey's life. No. God help me. This might be genius. It might be a smart, Evil tactical... Genius. All right. Right. But why is it smart if, if the Frank Underwood character is scum? In the show, the Frank Underwood character is scum. Right. So why is he in character as a scummy character? I have... I can't get into the mind of Kevin Spacey, and I don't want to get into the mind of Kevin Spacey. Is that guilt on display? 
maybe it's a coping mechanism. It's easy for him to refer to what's going on maybe in his that's life. Maybe role in general. Yeah, it could be very much that too. All I know, I mean, factually speaking, a lot of people watch this. It had four and a half million views in the first 24 hours it was up on YouTube. Um, it's a way for him to make some money. I'm sure it's got ad revenue attached to it. I'm sure he's making some kind of money because Kevin Spacey apparently has his own YouTube channel and I investigated some of it. Uh, he hasn't posted anything except for these two videos in the last two years. Uh, I was look, clicking around on it. It's very bizarre. It was a guy that was very active on YouTube promoting his stuff, promoting mm -hmm. his plays and, and then it just went dead silent, radio silence, except for these videos. Um, so he's probably getting some kind of income. Not much, but it, four and a half million in 24 hours isn't insignificant on YouTube. Right. Um, He's getting his reps in acting. I don't know that he's able to act anywhere else right now or that anyone's interested in hiring him, but he's playing a character still, even if it's for these small scripted bits. I'm shocked that you're finding Silver Lights. I don't this. want I, to, but I can't help it. Like, I can't help but think the guy is gross. He's accused of terrible things. His accusers, uh, I think a third one just was found dead. It's all awful, and yet he's still managing to keep himself in our conversations and in headlines because he's being creepy. I, I, look, the only question I can ask is that, does this make him seem more guilty or more innocent? Because we don't know what the truth is again yeah. with a lot of these things. It looks pretty bad for him, and that's why yeah, we Yeah, it don't. looks awful. I, but I, in a way, he's almost... I, I, I always struggle talking about this stuff, but he's yeah. almost changing the narrative somewhat surrounding him because he's keeping it off. He's not speaking directly about accusations. He's only intimating at everything, and he's playing a character, and the conversation has been, wow, how creepy are these videos, and not how awful are the things Kevin Spacey is accused of. That's why I say, in a way, in a twisted way, in an evil genius way, it's kind of smart because yeah. he's changing the conversation, but you can't disregard the fact that he's accused of some awful... Atrocities. Would, Atrocities an would an innocent man, if he's innocent of all these charges, yeah. would he? Would an innocent man do this? <sighs> I, 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 don't, I don't know how to answer I, that. I don't know I either. Have no idea. But that's that's the question yeah. I ask. Uh, weird. I, I don't, all weird. I don't. I don't know. I didn't yeah. watch the video. It's I, creepy. I, I it's creepy. So. You're creeped out to watch it. Yeah. All right, we're gonna finish up with a bit of a eulogy. We got four quick stories on the rise of Skywalker that we wanted to respond to. There is a spoiler warning in full effect now. We already mentioned a bunch of stuff we got coming next. You know our social media, so you know just listen to our next episode, please. <laughs> but here is our stuff about the rise of Skywalker that we wanted to put a bow on that. So there's been a lot of stories out there. We're gonna react to some, uh, like a collection of stories that we've gathered up that either make us rage some more against the rise of skywalker or we're going to make mention of a few things that we actually forgot to mention that we like from the movie uh like mike said there's a full spoiler warning in effect here uh just i guess it was a way of kicking things off uh we have spoke glowingly about uh mallory rubin and jason concepcion they mm -hmm. do the binge mode podcast for the ringer there they do an awesome job they did a great job covering this movie and they released a youtube video explaining ray's new lightsaber uh, again, that was a spoiler. It's at the end. I hope you're not listening to this anymore because we have spoilers coming. <laughs> it's other a than this, spoiler. So yeah, more spoilers are coming. But, Last chance. Here we go. <laughs> but, now. So the end of the movie. Ray has a yellow lightsaber. Uh, number one, I'm addicted to binge mode. Yes, uh, I love their work. Uh, I, they put out a two and a half hour episode on the rise of Skywalker. Did you watch the whole thing? I listened to the whole thing. God bless you. Loved it. All right. Ray took the color of yellow for her lightsaber, and that is cool, right? I mean, we had. All these Jedi get their new colors, and I like different color lightsabers. I'm just going to be honest with you. I like that the bad guys is red. I like that Luke's used to be green. I like there's a white one, Obi-Wan. Cool. All right, she gets a yellow one. 
great. Um, why would they give her that moment? Why would they give her that new color if she's not going to use it in upcoming films or TV shows? Interesting point. And now I wanted to give like Abrams like some more credit okay. because I think I was harsh on him overall for the big story moves. There's a lot more Easter eggs here, and I'm, I'm not going to go over those, but there's a lot of setups for future Star Wars properties. This is one of those examples of that, and I, I think this was a rush job overall. I mean, the more I read about it, the more that it seems like this whole script was a rush job. They were rushed in the sense that, you know, Ryan Johnson did some things they weren't expecting. They didn't know how to get out of those that they didn't want to, you know, use for the next movie, even though they put on a a happy face for it overall. So I do think overall there's a lot of Easter eggs that they always meant to have. There's a lot of details that this movie has to make me want to see it again at some point. I'm not rushing to the theaters, but how about you? Is the whole narrative mm-hmm. that Ryan Johnson did things that they weren't prepared for, is that a little convenient to being apologetic to J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy? Because I find it hard to believe that Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams, maybe not Abrams, but Kathleen Kennedy specifically, who is so protective of the Star Wars property, right. wasn't okaying everything every step of the way. And that this was the one time they let an auteur wholly take the Star Wars property and do what he wants with it. He did have a four-year buildup to whatever he was doing mm-hmm. there, Brian Johnson. So he did he, he did take a long time writing the thing, and, and it took a long time in production. So and who's more involved right. in the process than Disney? But here's the thing. like J.J. Abrams probably wasn't prepared for it. And Fair. that's my guess. Fair. And, and even if he thought that you know he didn't like certain things, I don't think Abrams was like, well, I'm coming back for the third movie. That was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow's movie. Mm-hmm. So he didn't think he was going to have to Clean handle up. it, deal yeah. with it. So I, I do think J.J. established a lot of things in Episode 7 that I wasn't aware of or I wasn't really paying attention to that Ryan totally retconned right. in his own right. We could say subvert, to mm-hmm. use sure. vocabulary that we like. So I wanted to ask you, Mike, you know, with this backlash to the backlash to the backlash, mm-hmm. I don't know which backlash we're on right now with these Star Wars fans. <laughs> Do you give J.J. a little more sympathy to the fact that a lot of the things that he set up and that he was in love with about his Episode 7 were changed by Ryan Johnson? Do you have more sympathy for J.J. is what I'm trying to get out here. Quick answer is yes, because I think he went into it with the prerogative or the imperative of let's win back some fans, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. as much as I hate that concept for any franchise property I, I i think it's just you're, you're going down a spiral of toxicity when you do that and i think that was the the fruits of the tree bear that when you see it because i think this is a toxic this was kowtowing to toxic fandom but nonetheless if your imperative was to win back those fans then yeah i i think he did his best to do that no matter how i feel about the movie personally and he was setting up the new trilogy the sequel trilogy to basically be a redux of the original trilogy he was setting that up with the way that yeah, episode four, episode four's basic plot was episode seven, right? Exactly. Yes. Even though you borrowed, he was going to shuffle things around. So Snoke was going to be his Palpatine, and then Ryan Johnson killed Snoke. You know, Hux was going to be Tarkin, right, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, Hux was it was giving these scary fascist fascist speeches to a bajillion of right. 
bad guys, and now he's comic relief in Ryan Johnson's movie. Ryan Johnson's movie throws Kylo's mask to the ground in a hissy fit right. comic relief scene, breaks up the mask because, you know, you could take that as I don't like the way the mask looks. It's stupid design. And then Finn's, you know, love of Rey in the in Seven shifts over to Rose and you can see Ryan Johnson's just saying, I, I don't buy that relationship. That's bullshit. Yeah. I, I would l- rather have, you know, kind of a Han Solo character swoop in here. And basically what they did with Leia and Luke, changing that to Leia and Han. Now, if Ryan Johnson was smarter, he would have probably said that, you know, they're they're a brother and sister from another mother somehow. But I don't know <laughs> if that works. We're just really good friends. J.J. <laughs> um, was kind of at a disadvantage, too, because you can, in, in subtext... Ryan Johnson throwing the the Kylo Ren helmet on the ground, smashing it. Like you can address one movie yeah. with with that kind of action. If you do it twice, if you retcon the retcon, like if you retcon the the rewrite kind of. So Ry- Kylo bitter. Ren's walking away. Exactly. Like if Luke comes out right, he's so, it's so it's such a departure from Luke Skywalker in Episode Eight, and yeah. then the next movie he's like, oh, never mind, I'm, I'm going back to what I said before. Before, uh, or if, if you spend, you know, you smash the helmet on the ground, and then you actually take the time to rebuild the helmet in Episode Nine, it seems bitter. It comes from a place of disdain. That's actually what I said during our review. I feel like it was really underhanded what he did. But thinking about it from three thousand miles, how could it not? Because if you wanted to, literally, if you felt the need to address everything Ryan Johnson undid, and I mean everything Ryan yeah. Johnson undid, yeah. which apparently J.J. wanted to do, it's going to come off as bitter, I think. And here's what's super infuriating, because we covered Star Wars Celebration with Ken Knapsack in mm-hmm. that interview episode, right? And then we had we followed it up with a play-by-play of that celebration, right. where J.J. was, like, really supportive of Ryan's work. Yeah, why? Don't do stuff. that. And now... All of the coverage that all of our friends have been doing and that a lot of people that we love and respect have been doing, they keep hearkening back to things that J.J. Abrams said during the promotional tours that's just infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating because he loved the Rose character that he totally benched in this movie. Awful. And and, and fine, look, if you don't like the Rose character, bench her. Fine. But don't say in all the promotional tours what a wonderful character we support her. I mean, what everybody's wondering now, and this is crazy, did Rose want to be benched? That's what everybody's been wondering, and it's a and it's a worthy. You How know, can you not? Especially after I mean, she deleted her social media from after on the fallout of episode. It's a worthy eight. consideration. Her sister character got more screen time in episode eight than Rose got in episode nine. I mean, that was a point William Bibiani made. I saw on Twitter, and he's absolutely right. It's silly nonsense how they did it too. It's like she's got to stay at the base. Yeah, do the research at the base. What? I I hate it. I I have disdain in my heart for how that, that character was. That character was the touchstone for Finn in the previous yep. film. The fact that they don't have a moment together in this movie is just outright belligerence, in my opinion. She puts her life on the line to save him. Yes. <laughs> and basically, she criticizes him for say, "Hey, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win this by." You know, sacrificing yourself sacri- by getting by, into hate. Yeah, yeah, by bonsai. Yeah, I mean, and you're—that's supposed to be. There were supposed to be two budding romances coming out of episode eight, and they—I mean, there was just nothing for for Finn and Rose. So, uh, just hearkening back to something you said here, I guess as a means of starting to wrap up, you talked about how you felt it was rushed storytelling. There was elements of the story that didn't work for you. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk by J.J. Abrams personally as well about what Finn was going to tell Ray and didn't tell Ray and it's never addressed and then JJ Abrams himself came out and said it's one thing. All right, I genuinely think at some point in this process he forgot to pay this off. It really felt like a pro wrestling angle. You're absolutely I, I 100%. But I do think at one point he's he forgot. 
Yeah, one. I, no, I agree. Sometimes they make angles and they just drop them. There's I'm with no you. way to forget it in the long term because you're editing. You're obviously you're you're. It's in your face all the time. So then I thought. I think he posits that it might be like some mystery to the film. And then I I thought it's a bad one. <laughs> that's what he hoped would happen. Right. Like he's he's like I'm scheduling all these reshoots. I don't have time to schedule this. It's too big of a plot point to fix at this point. I wonder if it'll be a cool mystery for the fans that they're wondering about what he was going to say yeah. the whole time. Maybe uh, this is me being sub, you know subverting expectations because Ryan did in the last movie. And uh, you know, if you pull that off, it's possible, right? Like you would. What the hell? I mean, we could be asking this for a mm-hmm. decade. What did Finn want to say? When that mystery didn't take off, and everybody just asked him, like, "What? This is stupid. You didn't pay this off, idiot. Why didn't yeah. Why didn't you pay this off?" That when it seemed, and even to him, because he's got a good eye, that he botched it. That that neither angle works, right? Once he knew he botched it, he basically just told everybody that Finn was going to tell Ray that he has force powers, right? And that's what J.J. Abrams has come out and said, that that was the big secret, and he was supposed to say that Finn is Force-sensitive, and he was going to let Ray know that, no, this was a romance. No. (laughs) Everybody's... The best experts out there have been saying they thought it was a romance. Of course! Obviously. And and because he was romantically inclined towards her in Episode 7, J.J. was trying to rekindle that in 9. Did they have a whole big thing that they cut that dealt with this, and then they couldn't fit it in at the end of the day this might be a movie you know production mess kind of a thing here where he had to swoop in and fix this movie and he couldn't fix this whatever i i, I could see that being botched. sure and i could see him hoping that the mystery angle would work and now the fact that he just comes right out and says it is the laziest thing in the world so lazy because your whole i mean part of your giant retconning of this movie that you did to step away from episode 8 and leave groundwork episode 8 laid out was to say that this mo- this world is about two families and then all of a sudden you have this explanation that no it's not it could be about a third family this guy could be force sensitive too when you went out of your way to explain that ray is a Palpatine, and it's it's going back. It's all about Skywalkers and Palpatines now again. Uh, I think it is incredibly Ugh. convenient that the explanation. The only caveat I'll put on it is that if they went forward mm-hmm. and shot a love scene after already disregarding Kelly Marie Tran mm-hmm. and disregarding Rose this entire movie, and they went forward and shot a romantic angle where Finn is supposed to have just forgotten about what he did romantically with Episode Eight after she put her Kelly Marie Tran put her life on the line for him and saved his character, and he's just going to fall back in love with Ray for no reason whatsoever. And they actually explain that in the movie, my head would have exploded. I would have been furious. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> so with maybe you. it's a good thing. Maybe it, he has a scene there that he just left on the cutting room floor that'll never show anybody. And I, I agree with you. But it's just kind of ridiculous because he had his chances. You had your chances to figure this out. You might as well leave it as a mystery if you're not going to do that. Just say, hey, it's a a mystery. You you have your own thoughts about it. I'm with you. But the fact that he's trying to to tell everybody what it means and that Boyega is telling everybody what it means is just like a reaction to the reaction. It's yeah. like, no, don't have a backlash here, please. Right. Like, it's ridiculous. If you liked episode eight, we can give you this nugget that wasn't filmed or in the thought process of the storyboarding whatsoever, but here. Yeah, oh, it it's convenient. All right, uh, I guess to close things out, we're wondering, 
right now, and I'm going to ask you, where do you think this franchise is going? Are they going to go more Disney Plus, Obi-Wan, Mandalorian? Are we going to have three seasons of The Mandalorian before we get Kevin Feige's first Star Wars film? Are we going to have two seasons of Obi-Wan? Uh, are we going to go trilogies? Catherine, Kathleen Kennedy's, Kennedy's been talking against trilogies. Is J.J. going to do something else? We got episode 10. Are they going to try and backtrack at all? What, what's going on, Mike? I have no idea. No idea whatsoever. I, I believe the intent of this was to set up something more with these characters. I think you need to have some kind of carryover with a new character, with a character that everyone knows yeah. in a new trilogy, because otherwise, I don't think you can just make a whole new Star Wars after all this time. I think fans want, obviously, there's a lot of fans out there who want nostalgia and want to know people going in and mm-hmm. want to see those characters come to life. Um, I think Star Wars needs to go away from movies for a while. I think they need like a good seven to ten years off and then let's, wow. yeah, that's what I would advocate for. Let's make sure we get it right. Let's give Kevin Feige all the leeway he needs, but let's, like, make this a coherent process. Let's make it a a, a team effort here between him and Dis- the Disney studio and Kathleen Kennedy's crew there, and let's make sure we nail the next one, because I think the next episode might be the most important one since, I, I don't know, episode five, maybe? I mean, it's, it's after four took off. Yeah, I wonder. I don't have a take myself. I know they're putting a lot of eggs in the Mandalorian and Obi-Wan baskets, but... Disney Plus is going to be able to sell itself on the MCU yep. stuff as well. But they basically launched Disney Plus with The Mandalorian. Yep. And it came through. And, it, and it's a huge smash hit. Are we going to get a Mandalorian movie from Jon Favreau? Would that make some sense? I could see that. I, I, I guess it depends, having not watched the show yet, how much of a story is left to kind of build on. It's a smaller story, let's just say, and there ha- it's a serialized story. It would be easy to do. I mean, just have another adventure with, you know. Right. But Mando then why not? The baby if you're going to do that, why not just put it on Disney Plus? Anyway, yeah. make it, maybe make it a Disney Plus movie. Are they making stupid money with Disney Plus that they just don't care? Then maybe that they just don't care about movies anymore. Disney is going to tell us a lot about the entertainment industry yeah. based on how they allocate Star Wars across their platforms. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's, you know, obviously coherence and stories and critic scores, none of that really matters. It's still, it matters to, in as far as it's making less money, but it's still making a ton of money. Yeah. But we're on this precipice of this whole new world. Mike, the reason I've been such a Disney apologist more often than not, and I've come down on them for this, is that the MCU is mostly great storytelling. Yeah. They prioritize for the storytelling. Pixar is great yep. storytelling. They prioritize for the storytelling. They don't yada yada shit. They yeah. don't do that. And recently, even with Frozen 2 and your qualms yeah. about Frozen 2 and with, you know, some I'm not looking forward. I mean, I'm not looking forward to Black Widow as much as I hoped. It looks like it's just a, a regular action movie. I'm really worried about it. A lot it. of questions. You got these goofy ass cliches, action movie cliches of we have to fight before we can be friends, <laughs> be sisters again. It's terrible. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are we gonna do this now? Are we just all fat cats that we're just on our on our laurels and we're not gonna do new shit anymore? This is why monopolies are a bad thing in industry. Did you know, reach that tipping point. Eh, we're gonna find out. Like you said, it's gonna be an interesting couple of years coming up to see where this Star Wars franchise goes, where the MCU goes. Is one man capable of being at the head of both of them? I mean, Kevin Feige is... He can't do everything for that company. No, he can't do everything, but he knows how to do the framework, right? So if he's pitching one movie 
Are, are they hoping that it's the Iron? Are, are, that's the Iron Man? To you kick know, off the whole to new kick thing, off something yeah. new. Are, are they hoping that? Or, well, the oh, trilogy I thought was that was what he went in with. I really? think that was the. I wonder if they're just going to take a bunch of single stabs at it, whether it's a prequel, whether it's in something new here in the Star Wars universe. Like that's what I would do, and then see what catches fire. Man, that's dangerous. If one thing doesn't catch fire, yeah, but you can make money. Yeah, on they proven these that. these movies, and you got you basically you put it in, you know, to auteurs' hands and see what they do with it. It's time for Battlefield Earth to come back <laughs> and save us all with its sequel. Oh, no. <laughs> Guys, uh, that is your look around the Hollywoods. That is MMO Weekly. Uh, like we said, went a little long today, but putting our finishing touches on Star Wars Episode Nine. As always, want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we truly would appreciate that. Michael, uh, do you have words of wisdom to end this episode on? Well, the only words of wisdom was I wish we could have had the Mandalorian season finale review in this episode, yeah. but uh, we, we couldn't get after Little Women today. Mike would no. uh, die of exposure if he <laughs> stepped outside, I think. So please, Mike, get better. Stay That's my, my words of wisdom. Just rest and don't speak anymore. Stay in my Petri dish. I'm going silent as of now, guys. Uh, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We'll see you soon. See you.